So hi, this is Angela Treat Lyon, and you are listening to Daring Dreamers Radio, broadcast to you all the way from beautiful Hawaii, and located at idareyouradio.com. And remember, we connect you to the coolest people on the planet, so you can be inspired and have the most powerful information, massive support, and uncommon resources, so you can dream it, dare it, and do it. And today, I have a really awesome guest for you. She's known to millions as Dr. Love through her website, AskDrLove.com. Dr. Turndorf is the author of the Hay House book, Kiss Your Fights Goodbye, Dr. Love's 10 Simple Steps to Cooling Conflict and Rekindling Your Relationship. And it's been endorsed by New York Times best-selling authors, Jack Canfield, Dr. John Gray, and John Bradshaw. Dr. Jamie Turndorf has such an, an amazing story. And uh, let me tell you, Dr. Turndorf's career took a very surprising turn following her husband's death from a bee sting. And subsequently, his miraculous and over-the-top spirit manifestations, often in front of witnesses, have shown her that we do not die and that our relationships are not meant to end in death. Chew on that one for a minute. Now, Dr. Turndoff's experiences have led her to develop a groundbreaking new trans-dimensional grief therapy method that diverges from the traditional Western approach, which is grieve, let go, and move on, which only leaves the bereaved at a greater loss. By contrast, her method offers a vehicle for enabling the bereaved to reconnect and, if needed, make peace with the deceased. How do you like them apples? I love that. Now, as a result of her deceased husband's remarkable manifestations, Dr. Turndorf says, we've been told about the afterlife, stuff that's completely dead wrong. We don't need to wait to die to be reunited with loved ones in heaven. Heaven is a state. Oh, I love that. Not a place. Heaven is here and now. This knowledge opens us to the reality that we are meant to say hello, not goodbye, and stay connected to those in spirit. I'm so delighted. Thank you so much for being my guest, Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you. That was a wonderful introduction. I can say goodbye now because you pretty much said it all. We can, you know, close right here. (laughs) Well, I don't think so. You don't get off the hook that easy. Maybe. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like tell us what happened. I mean, it must have been such a shock for you. Oh, yes. I would absolutely love to tell you. Oh, I'm I'm chomping at the bit because I'm so passionate for everybody in the world to hear this story and understand its implications for every one of us, everybody listening. So first of all, I have to backtrack and tell you, Angela, from the time I was a young girl, I had a premonition of the man that I was going to marry one day. I saw him fleshed out, his face. I saw everything. So I figured, well, I'll just wait until he appears. And he did appear on the first day of my freshman year at Vassar College. I'd been shut out of all the intro sociology classes, and the secretary said, go ask the department chair, Jean Pain, if he can find a seat for you in one of the closed classes. The minute I walked into his office, 
I had the first and only out-of-body experience in my life. I felt my soul shooting at high speed through a tunnel. And when I got to the end of this tunnel, I received the message, remember every aspect of this meeting, he is going to be everything to you one day. And then I felt myself shooting back into my body. Now, that is your average first day of Vassar College. Now, the next thing that happens is four years later, I needed help with the statistical portion of my thesis. And I had heard that Jean was a statistician. Now, I have to back up and say to you, for most of his life, Jean had been one of the most famous Jesuit priests in history. He taught at the Vatican. He founded a movement called Liberation Theology designed to fight church oppression from within. And he actually launched international fame when he publicly opposed the Pope and the Catholic Church as they were trying to block the legalization of divorce. And he was a radical feminist priest, and he didn't want to see women trapped in marriages where they were being abused. So he fought on the grounds of religious freedom. The church should butt out of the private sector. He won, got the divorce bill passed, changed the course of the church and the history of the, you know, of the church. And then soon after, the Pope granted him the dispensation of his vows, and he was recruited by Vassar, where I eventually met him 10 years later. So here I am now in the senior year of my life at Vassar, and I had heard that Jean had also founded the Vatican's first and only social research center. So I asked him if he could help me with the statistics for my thesis, and even though he wasn't my advisor, he gladly gave me his time, and within a couple of weeks, we were madly in love. Despite our different cultures, backgrounds, religions, we were completely compatible, twins separated at birth, we were soulmates. Now, I have to say to you, I was raised by two devout Jewish atheist parents. The only religion they practiced was religiously hating each other. They taught me not to believe in God or the afterlife. I never read the Bible or went to church or synagogue. And Jean and I never did discuss religion during our 27 years together where we were inseparable. Now, in the last year of his life, we were crazy for each other. And in the last year of his life, we both started having premonitions he was going to die of an accident We just didn't know when or where. Then we went for our final vacation to Italy, and while we were sitting on the beach, his hand was up over his head as if to block the rays of the sun, and suddenly a bee swooped down and stung his hand right at the location of Christ's stigmata. And I watched my beloved suffocate to death in front of my eyes. Now here's the crazy part. I go back to the hotel room. I'm hysterical. He's been ripped from me, and I'm shaking, and I'm trembling, and I'm crying. And the next thing I know, I feel that man's hand stroke the entire length of my spine. And I sit bolt upright. I look over my shoulder, but there's nobody there. But he was there, and he's been with me ever since. And his astonishing and ongoing manifestations to this day in front of witnesses have proven to me that we don't die and our relationships aren't meant to end in death, as you said. So I've created this new grief therapy method, as you said in the intro, that completely diverges from the Western approach, which is grieve, 
let go and move on and do it in six months or else we slap a label on you and we give you drugs and all this only leaves the bereaved at a greater loss. So my method shows how to say hello, not goodbye, and you don't need an assist, the assistance of a medium, a channeler, or a psychic to do it. And then there's one more thing. As a shrink, I know that millions of people worldwide harbor unfinished business with the dead. And again, Western grief therapy offers us no way of making peace with the deceased. And my new dialoguing with the departed technique offers the first vehicle in history for enabling the bereaved to not only reconnect but also make peace with the deceased. Phew, I need to take a breath. <laughs> I know. I so much to, I'm so excited about it. You know, and Love Never Dies, I break it down into three parts. The first part's my memoir, you know, where I tell the story, you know, and I pick up from the night, you know, that I felt him stroke my spine. And if you'd like, I can give you a few examples from Love Never Dies of his astonishing manifestations. Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't want it? No? no? I'm kidding you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course we want examples. Oh, all right. Have at it. Have at it, right. girlfriend. <laughs> okay, I'll take you through. Just a couple. Now, and the point I want to make to everybody listening is, because people will often say, wow, your stories are so over the top. That never happens to me. Now, first of all, Jean wants me to tell the story. So he goes over the top to really make the point clear that our loved ones are still here. That was a rhyme. Whenever he's present, he makes me say things in rhyme. So there it is. So these manifestations aren't just for me. They're for you. They're for everybody listening. Okay, so I come back from Italy, my first night back, and, of course, I hadn't slept in days, and I come down to the kitchen, and I hear Jean saying to me, Jamie, open the back door. I want to show you something. So I open the door, and what I see sitting on the step is a chipmunk. And I can instantly see there's something going on with this chipmunk. He's not acting like a wild creature. He's frozen as if in a trance, and he has a glazed expression in his eyes. And I watch this chipmunk for 20 minutes, mimicking the way Jean was suffocating to death. The little chipmunk is ripping at his face the way Jean ripped at the oxygen mask because he couldn't get the air to go in. And I'm crying as I watch the chipmunk doing this choking and mimicry of Jean's death. And after 20 minutes of this, my tears pouring down my face, the chipmunk coughs. And I see him visibly cough up a hunk of mucus, and he's in peace. And I knew somehow that Jean was coming through this little animal, which I've come now to call animals, both domestic and wild, open vessels because they are always here to communicate messages to us from spirit. Now, a couple of days later, Angela, I had to fax his death certificate to Verizon to take him off the phone line. I had made many multi-page faxes throughout the day, no problem. But when I went to fax his obituary, the, the cover letter went through without a hitch, but then the machine froze and it would not fax his obituary. I tried again with the death certificate again. Cover letter went through, but the machine froze, wouldn't send the death certificate. The next day, I take the papers to my lawyer's office. I don't say anything. I just say, would you fax these for me? After about 20 minutes, all the secretaries come out of the back 
crying. They said, Jamie, we've tried 20 times. No matter how many times we try, the cover letter faxes, but the death certificate and the obit won't fax. He's telling you he's not gone. So I go home, and again, I have to do the faxing of the obit, and again, he hangs it up. The cover letter goes. So I finally say to him, listen, Jean, I think you're trying to tell me that you're still here. And I keep forgetting. If I promise to remember, will you let this fax go in its entirety? I suddenly feel a tidal wave of love pouring over me. And I knew he told me, I heard you. You heard me. Now I'll let it go. I reissue the fax. It goes through in its entirety. So I'm walking around and strangers are now coming up to me. Don't know me. Don't know Jean didn't know I was widowed, and they just walk up to me. Your husband says, tell our story, and then they walk on. So around this no time... No way. Are you serious? Girl, you got to read this book. It will blow your mind. So another day, I'm driving, and I say to Jean, please help my friend Emily find love. Now, Emily d- didn't know Jean, never saw a picture of him, and I ask her, him this because she's never had love in her life. And I feel again that tidal wave of love pouring into me. And I look at the clock, and it's 4.58. That night, I get a phone call from Emily. She says, Jamie, I have to tell you what happened to me today. I said, what happened? She said, at 4.58, I fell into a trance, and your husband appeared to me. She describes him to a T. And she says that he told her, quote, to find love, follow the gray stones to the church in your neighborhood. Now, by having her repeat my prayer to him, he was proving to me that he'd heard my prayer. I'm here, I heard your prayer, and he was also blessing Emily by sending her to the church. Now, a week later, I go to my professional group in the city, and she's a member of the group, and she tells this story. And now another member of our group says, what was the name of the church that he sent you to? And she says, oh, the Claremont Church. And the other member of our group says, the Claremont Church? That's New York's only liberation theology seminary. (laughs) Husband founded liberation. So, I mean, he put his hand all over it, you see, involving other players to prove it. So now this one is incredible. I'm on the floor of my closet, and I'm crying, which was my hobby in the early days. And I'm thinking... I have to call my friend Ann. I have to call her. No, don't bother her. It's her work day. After about a half hour of this hemming and hawing, Ann calls. She says, Jamie, did you phone me? Now, I had to jump up from the closet and run to get to the phone. I was nowhere near the phone. And I say to her, how could I have called you? I was in the closet bawling my eyes out. So she says, but Jamie, my phone rang and your name and number appeared on the caller ID. (laughs) blew our minds because he was somehow coming through electronics, which I came to understand they can do this pretty easily because they're pure energy. They can manipulate the electronics. Now, a year later, I had a bad cough, couldn't breathe. I thought, I'm going to suffocate the way he did. And I say out loud to him, could you do that phone trick? This time do it with Donna and have my name and number appear appear on her caller ID. Two seconds later, Donna calls. She says, Jamie, did you just phone? I said, no, Donna, but guess what? And I tell her the story. She says, my name, my name and number appeared on her caller ID. All right, so now here's the pièce de résistance of these phone tricks. A couple of months after that, I go to my writer's group. The head of the group named Gabe Davis, devout 
Jewish atheist, the way I was. I tell him all the stories about John's manifestations and the phone tricks, and Gabe says, you know, I sure would like to see that phone trick repeated. And this time I'd like to see whether your phone shows a record of having been manipulated by Jean to dial the person out. So I forget the whole thing. A month later, I'm going to meet Gabe and his wife, Robin, for dinner, and I'm driving behind them. And all of a sudden, I feel that tidal wave of love again. I look at the clock, and I note the time. It's 4.58 again. I get to the restaurant. Gabe runs up to me. He says, Jamie, you will not believe what happened. What happened, Gabe? He says, at 4.58, my cell phone rang. I looked at the caller ID, and your name and number appeared. He said, I picked up the call, and a man's voice said, is Jamie there? Is Jamie there? He said the voice had an accent, and it extended the word there, which my husband did because he was French, and it sounded like there. And he said it wasn't a real call. The voice just faded away, and the phone never clicked off. Get your phone, he says. See if it dialed me. So I dig in the bottom of my purse. I hadn't used the phone the whole day. Sure enough, 4.58, it had dialed him. It had dialed Gabe. So the point of all these examples, and I have so many others that I share with you in part one of Love Never Dies is, Jean said to me right after he left his body, let our love shine like a torch that lights the path for others. Our story is letting you know that your loved ones are here with you too, and they're just waiting for you to open your door to them. So that's what I do in part two and part three is I show you how to open your door and how to reconnect. Whew. Okay, mm-hmm. I've used up a box of Kleenex. Oh, honey, well, it gets even more intense. I mean, you know, I'm so passionate. Oh, no, no, about no, 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 stop, stop, stop. So passionate. <laughs> I, and I, did you cry because you were sad or you were moved or what? Oh, because it's so touching. It's not sad at all. It's just fantastic, beautiful, magnificent. Absolute magnificent. Magnificent. <laughs> It is. <laughs> well, okay. So he's. How long has it been since he left our particular plane of reality? He left body in September seventeenth, two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. So but he's course, been hanging out with you for almost nine for all these years. years. Well, it's um nine nine years. Yeah, nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it'll yeah. be nine in September. Awful. Okay, so let's talk about your grief therapy because I'm really interested in that. Have you heard of EFT, the Emotional Freedom Techniques? Oh, for sure. Sure. Okay. So I I know a lot of people who work with EFT and TBT, the Trauma Buster Technique, and this would fit so perfectly in with this. It's just so lovely. I want to hear about how you... Switch the Western method, which, as you say, is let it go, and in six okay. months or they slap a label on you. And I also want you to address um, how, it, now I'm probably going to get people yelling at me for this, but how the Christian religion really cuts Okay, we're going to go into that because action. you're right on schedule here. This is part two. Part to, to, In order to prepare yourself to reconnect, 
Part two, I talk about how to overcome false beliefs and these false Christian religious teachings that prevent so many people from reconnecting. And I discuss how it's even possible for us to communicate with those in spirit. So our first obstacle for most people is to overcome the false belief that we're not supposed to stay in connection with loved ones in spirit. Now, here is how I found out that what we've been told about the afterlife is dead wrong. I'm back from Italy the first night, and I heard John speaking to me, and he's quoting something to me I don't recognize. The next day I go to his priest, and I tell him, Jean's been talking to me, and he's quoting something. Now, the priest raises his brow in obvious skepticism, thinking, you know, this bitch has really rounded the bend, right? But then I told him what Jean was saying. The priest blanched, crossed himself, and this is what he said. Dear God, Jamie, at first I didn't believe that Jean was talking to you, but I do now. And then he said, you are quoting an obscure biblical passage from the communion of saints. Like I would have known, I said, I never read the Bible, I never went to church, Jean and I didn't discuss religion. Now, it took me a year to understand why Jean chose to quote that and only that biblical passage to me. Remember, he was a religious pioneer in life, and he continues to be in the afterlife. The communion of saints says that our loved ones in spirit are one with or in communion with God and the saints. And since we're supposed to stay in communion and communication with God and the saints, this means we are supposed to stay in communion and communication with our loved ones in spirit because they are one with God and the saints. So the point that Jean is making is what we've been told about the afterlife is dead wrong. Pardon that pun. We are not meant to live in an emotional wasteland separated from those we love, waiting until we die and enter heaven because, as you said in the intro, I say heaven is a state, not a place. Jean said heaven is all around us. Heaven is here and now. This means we're supposed to reconnect now. I also help people overcome the misconceptions, other misconceptions surrounding the afterlife communication, like, oh, it'll prevent you from moving on, which is untrue, because this method that I'm talking about that I've invented helps you transform your grief to joy so you're more able to enter your life fully. So that you, you move on in a, in a beautiful way where you embrace your loved one in spirit and you're more present. I talk about why it's not true that we're opening the door to evil because our loved ones in spirit are love and they're our gatekeepers. Then in part two, I also talk about how spirit communication is even possible because a lot of people don't even know we can. And I talk about the fact that we're all energetically communicating all the time. We're born with the innate ability to communicate energetically. Think about when you're parked at a light and you look over at the driver, driver in the neighboring car. That driver always looks back at you because he or she senses the energetic frequency of your gaze. Twins know when the other's in trouble, even when they're living on opposite ends of the world. Mothers know when, what their babies are feeling. Couples know. And I, I talk about the prominent figures in history from Socrates to Helen Keller who have talked about having contact with spirits. I talk about the scientists like Edison who was quoted in Scientific American as saying that those who have left the earth would like to communicate with those that they've left behind and he was working on an apparatus to make this communication possible but he left his body before he could finish. I talk about Einstein in his 
introduction to Upton Sinclair's book on telepathy, the book with mental radio. He asked science to please take this seriously. Freud in 1921 said, if I had my life to live over again, I would devote myself to psychic research rather than psychoanalysis. Jung said the same. So basically what I'm saying in part two is we don't reconnect because we've been told it's not possible. And here, this is such an amazing story to illustrate this point. I went back to the priest and I told him, you know, Jean's still talking to me. And the priest tells me, oh, well, once he's in heaven, you won't hear from him anymore. What, heaven so far that our cell towers don't reach? You know, oh, uh, <laughs> what, the signal's not strong enough? Well, our human conceptions are so dead wrong. So this was bothering me the whole day. Now I go back to my office. I make the circle for the therapy group I'm running in my office. And nobody's in the group except Ashley. It's her first time. She doesn't know me, doesn't know I'm widowed, doesn't know anything. Next thing I know, I hear the front door go ding, ding. That's the chime that my burglar alarm makes when the door opens. Now I hear very loud pounding footsteps, and they stop in the waiting room outside my group room. The next thing I know, I hear the footsteps pounding in the opposite direction. I say to my patient, gee, I think somebody got his time wrong. Let me go greet the person. Now, you have to know that my driveway is extremely long and the parking area is so far away that in the time it took me to jump up and go to the front door, had it been a human being who had come in my house, I would have seen the person walking down the driveway, but there was nobody there. So I come back to my office and I say to my patient, there was nobody there. She says, it was a spirit. Now that was Jean's answer to the priest's statement, once Jean's in heaven, I won't hear from him anymore. So as you can see, part two, I help you dispel all the false teachings and beliefs that will prevent you from reconnecting. Now in part three, I show you my new transdimensional grief therapy method, and I show you how you can reestablish your own connection with loved ones in spirit without a channeler, without a medium, and without a psychic. And the way we do this is basically I'm teaching you what Jean showed me, and I'm showing you how to tune your brain to the spirit channel. Because as I said, we're all born with this ability to do so. But it's like it takes practice. If we've never done this tuning to the channel, we don't know how to do it. So the first way that we do it is by creating what I call a state of receptivity. I have a whole chapter on this, and I show you step by step how to do this. And as Jean said, Jamie, the noise of the day drowns me out. So anytime you want to hear me, come to the bed. Be still and quiet, and you will hear me. So in this chapter, I show you how to sit in silence, turn off the TV and the music. I help you find the peaceful practices that are going to help still your mind, whether it's yoga, tai chi, qigong. 